Man, I've been in this line for like three hours. Reek, do you have a bottle of water I can have? I am parched. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jim, I got, I got water for you. Great. Uh-oh, the fuzz. Oh, no, it's the cops. I just wanted to vote. Oh, no. Well, is, we, that, is that? It's Officer Snake coming around. It's corner. Officer Snake. Officer, I was just giving hey him guys, some water. what's going on around here? Yeah, I don't want no trouble, man. I just, uh, this guy, he's voting, Are and you I'm giving him some water. someone at practicing their democratic duty? I just, I just wanted to be, I learned this in my civics class. Was well, this Georgia? It is now. We're all Georgia now. And welcome back to the square. This is Ree with Jim. That's me. And Ryan. He's also known as Snake. Officer Snake here. Officer Snake and a very special guest. Probably, I will go out on a limb, Brian, and say you are probably like the most intelligent guest that we've had, at least in terms of being like a published author. That's my barometer that's for being sorry, like super. That's a sorry statement, but right there. That's, that's, and, and <laughs> we've had we've had the guy who's the head of the local think tank think tank for Cornell, and Ree's like, "No, you're definitely the most intelligent person, so you should take it as a compliment." Well, I'll take it, but if I'm bringing up the average, I mean, like that's like how far am I bringing it up from? Not too much is all I'm saying. That's you're all. You're just resetting the median. <sighs> okay, Brian Kastner. I mean, I, I, will, I won't even put the, the qualifier local author. You're just an author who just so happens to be local. We are, we are lucky to have you here uh, living in Western New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, author, journalist, man, you name it. Uh, upcoming book, Stampede, Gold Fever and Disaster in the Klondike. Brian, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, it's really good to be here. I appreciate the invitation and looking forward to chatting with you guys. So we're going to talk, talk with Brian about... Uh, the news of the week, friends. We're going to talk about the stuff going on, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about Stampede. But guys, I got to tell you, you know we we read a lot of stuff in the news about uh, cancel culture, and I think we have a little bit of a taste here, fellas, of our of our own of cancel culture. What do you say, Jim? I say it couldn't happen to a better guy. Oh, oh. I, pretty, uh, I I honestly cannot bear to listen to this again but i will well for the pod for the pod dear listener if you are not local or you're not inundated with twitter and you don't you don't follow this stuff obsessively what happened is we had a local host rob lederman of 97 rock formerly local host excuse me formerly canceled now literally canceled get the hell out of here who uh made a shall we say off the cuff racial remark um uh, you know what ryan just play the clip what so what is your what, what num- what's the number i think it's it's, it's, a, it's probably oh, a seven ish six oh six to seven God. probably seven see we have ours and i'm gonna make it into trouble it's for like this two o'clock we have, 
I have them to the attractiveness of women that I find to be attractive. <laughs> so I'll go. I will never go to a Serena Williams level, but I'm very comfortable with, like, uh, uh, I'm very comfortable at a, a Halle Berry level. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need a, a, a little bit of mulatto still coming through. It can't be. Not you know, like com- is Gail King. Not that's not. Right. Pause it there, stop. right? I'm, I'm sick of listening to these assholes. I don't listen I to this just, shit ever I, in my life. I feel sick to my stomach after listening. Okay, to freaking shit. I would just like to point out that this man was talking about coffee. He got his ass fired over coffee because he couldn't help but be racist talking about fucking the the color of his coffee. Mm-hmm. Well done, right? Because he can't he he can't drink it Serena Williams style. Whatever that was supposed to mean. You know what's amazing to me is that look, people get like like these like cancel culture fucking dipshits get so up in arms about everything, but the fact that you've seen very little like pushback tells you nobody actually gives one. I think people realize like wow that's egregiously bad. Two, nobody actually gives a shit about ninety seven rock or listens to their morning talk show. No, I'm surprised anyone even heard it. To be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it only got really attention because of what's it, Marcel uh, Louis Jacques, who is the ESPN reporter who covers the Buffalo News, um, retweeted it. And he was like that he didn't hear it live, but he, he, he caught the clip because it, it 97 Rock tried to make the clip disappear as much as they possibly could. But the Internet always has the receipts. The Internet, if it's good for anything and it's not good for much, but if it's good for anything... It always had the receipts, and it had Rob Lederman out there, and he, he, he did get a response from Holly Berry herself. She said, mm. disgusting. It's ridiculous that this type of nonsense is still being broadcasted across airwaves. All black women are beautiful and worthy, Rob Lederman, GTFOH. Rob Lederman, a very specific type. I don't even know if he's from Buffalo, but he is, in fact, a very specific type of Buffalo guy who who knows full well that, oh, yes, I will get in trouble for how racist I'm about to be, and then I will say the word mulatto. Right. Just boldface. I'm going to go for it. I, it's... I, I don't... I didn't think this needed to be said, but apparently, like, if any... If you're listening, and if you say... say I might get in trouble for saying this. Don't follow that up. Don't say the thing you think you're about to say. Like, if you think you might get in trouble, don't don't say it. And I, I, I mean, like, if you're like, I might get in trouble with my teacher because I'm a student, don't say it. I might get in trouble with my spouse, don't say it. That's my snake take for the week. It, I, I, if you're going to get in trouble for the take, it's a mistake. Yeah, you, you, you know it. If you're like, I should bite my tongue here, then bite your goddamn tongue. Right. He had enough self-awareness to be like, oh, this is going to be bad. And then just dove in head first and just couldn't help but compare, uh, you know, different black women celebrities that he wanted his coffee to be or to not be like. So good job, Rob Lederman. And the the blowback extended to the the co-host, Bull. (laughs) God, uh, is his name really Bull? Well, that's, that's well, that's radio. his radio handle. No, I know, but I mean, like, yeah, he's a bull. It's like, I know, but it's like a parody of itself. Like, right. oh, Rob and the dipshit in the morning. 
because uh, he was the in-game, uh, in, in-arena host for Sabres games. And Pagula Sports and Entertainment fired him from that, basically because, like, he didn't stick up and say, hey, hey Rob, that's racist, you shouldn't say that. Brian, you ever come across a guy like this who's just, like, so racist but they can't help themselves? It's funny. That's exactly what I was thinking. There's cases where people get caught. They're at a news conference. They're, like, uh, you know, in a situation where that's unplanned and they say something stupid or they let something slip. And I, I don't know. I don't exactly feel bad for them because you shouldn't do it. But, like, it, at least it's it's unprepared. If you have your own radio show and you plan on what you're going to say every day and you have complete control and you know you're going to do that every day you you put yourself i mean you put yourself in that situation Mm -hmm. right what are the odds they were like planning to fire this guy anyway just because he sucks and they're like oh there it is okay i don't know i mean because 97 rock sucks because all the radio stations around here suck that's true. No, they, they're appealing to the lowest common denominator. I mean, because like... Unlike us, our no, listeners, the highest common no, denominator. Right, yeah. The smartest listeners. Right. Uncommon denominators. That's right. Uh, uh, no, I mean, uh, 97 Rock, at least, the one thing it has going for it is that it's actually local DJs and locally hosted, running the local shows, as opposed to, like... Jack FM or whatever, which doesn't it doesn't even exist anymore. But ninety two nine, which it's it's mostly syndicated shows now. Anyways, like free beer and hot wings is their morning show, which is yeah. out of like fucking Grand Rapids, Michigan, or yeah, some terrible. nonsense. Um, or one zero seven seven, which we talked about on our worst of as like as one of the worst radio stations because they fired all the local DJs and replaced them with all syndicated nonsense. Well. I'm sick of talking about yeah, these assholes. Let's uh, let's pivot here, gentlemen, to uh, a, a decide. This we're, we're talking we, we're talking old Buffalo guys who just can't help themselves and be outwardly racist. Let's pivot to a new, more genteel type of, shall we say, discrimination, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better word. Chandlerville. Mm. Chandlerville is, uh, if not in the news, Jim, it's in the tweets. It is in the tweets. Yes. So. Our, our our boy, Mark, I call him Poland cars. Re calls him Hitler. Not true. Uh, <laughs> not true. Mark Mark Poland cars jumped in on the. Uh, I can't remember who it was. It was a local uh, tweet aficionado. Uh, Christine L. Sloak, S L O C. I don't yeah. want to blow up her. I don't like to blow up people's spots. But right. I mean, she got retweeted a bunch. So. Um. Uh. About like you know. I can't believe that people are calling it Chandlerville when it's the the neighborhood is called Black Rock. I mean, I, you know, I thought it was African American Rock. Re. Oh boy, no. are you auditioning for a, a part at ninety seven Rock, Jim? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to take over for Rob Lederman. All right, so the Black Rock neighborhood, long standing neighborhood, did not need to be called Chandlerville. Uh, Christine's tweet says Black Rock is such a killer name for a neighborhood. Whereas Chandlerville sounds like a place on the friend set. Great tweet. I mean, Black Rock is named after a literal black rock in the river. Yes. It's older than Buffalo. Right. I mean, Black like, Rock was it's, the, it's the original. The right. Black Rock was like the original uh, foundation of, of the area. Yeah, I mean, I have feelings about this because I don't understand why in Buffalo we have to put Ville after everything and rename perfectly good places. And 
actually have some connection to BlackRock. The Buffalo Religious Arts Center is there. I helped set up. It's the old St. Francis Xavier Church. I worked on that, I don't know what, 13 years ago or something. And like the stories of how uh, the parishioners there and the people there rolled the columns of of the church inside the church. They rolled it up the hill, like out of Skajakwita wow. Creek and set them in place. Like it's real history. It's real people. Why do we have to add Ville? I don't get it. I'm for BlackRock. Put me on Team BlackRock. Yeah, I'm, if I'm, that's I'm, a thing. I'm Team BlackRock too. I mean, let's. Um, we can get shirts made. Team BlackRock uh, versus I, Team Chandlerville. I think so. Well, you know who's on Team BlackRock um, now, gentlemen. Our yes, our very own Mark Polencar's county executive, who then tweeted, quote tweeted, uh, Christine's tweet. Erie County will not support any effort to rename a portion of the Black Rock section of Buffalo. It's been Black Rock for more than 200 years and once was a separate village. A bunch of new urban hipsters don't get to wipe off the map a proud name with a long history. Now, it's very interesting that he put that little phrase in there, new urban hipsters hipsters like it's uh you know like a whole new yuppie movement when in fact i would say the folks who are doing most of the gentrifying over there are in fact far from new <laughs> they're urban and i wouldn't really classify them as hipsters mm-hmm. um our very own friend of the pod rob galbraith uh quote tweeted polencar saying lmao i wouldn't exactly call rocco termini in the buffalo news quote a bunch of new urban hipsters end quote He's got a point, doesn't he, Rob? Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, uh, Rob goes on because Rob is the man, and you can always trust him. Follow at Rob Galbraith LS, by the way. If uh, we'll, we'll pimp him out, he's a friend of the pod. But he also <laughs> followed that up with worth adding that Termini's Chandlerville projects have received millions of dollars in public subsidies, including ECIDA tax breaks that Poland cars approved. So if you're keeping track at home, the Chandlerville new urban hipsters. Yeah, pretty much got the rubber stamp from good old Marky Mark himself. But you know, it's I'm glad I'm glad his heart's in the right place, I guess. But also, he helped uh, he helped those new urban hipsters make a lot of money over there, right? And, and I mean, when you get areas of a city that are getting relabeled, it, it's often by developers and real estate agents who want to do so because. The neighborhood is considered to be lower class, lower income, less desirable. So they want to come up with a new name for it to make it new, newly desirable, right? Uh, my problem is, is like, I didn't think there was anything wrong with BlackRock. I, don't, I mean, not just the name. Like, I didn't think there was anything wrong with the neighborhood anyways. It's a great neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. I mean, so. Casey's is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Spars. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. Right. Yeah, the Sportsman Tavern. Rohal is my favorite place. Rohal's, I was just going to say. My favorite place. Friend of the pod, Rohal's. Friend of the pod. We'll do a live episode at Rohal's. Love that. You know what we'll do? We'll, you know what we'll do live at Rohal's? Smoke a bunch of pot. Hey. Yes. Hey. yes. What's, what's going on? With, uh, well, no more than three ounces per person, but we'll smoke a ton of it. All right. So, you know, we're finally on track. This this silly little state of ours is finally on track to be cool 
Brian. We're going to be cool. Okay. We're going to be like, we're going to be like the Colorados, like the Denver's <laughs> and you know, the Washington's and we're like, we're going to be cool. We're going to have legalized pot. Uh, yay. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, not my thing makes me paranoid. I'll have yeah. the beer, but, but yes, I mean, it's, it is like New York to be cool. 12 States too late. That right, is, yeah. that is definitely true. Right, right. What, why lead the way when you can follow? <laughs> well, you, can, I, you can meekly follow and have like a lot of weird rules, and it takes forever to, you know, actually be put into place. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I know, like all of you, I'm very, very much looking forward to trying my first pot. Yes, it's not legal, so Ryan has never tried it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, unlike Ryan, I've tried it, and like Brian, it makes me paranoid. So I'll just stick with beer, probably, all but. Right. Yeah, honestly, you know, it probably, once it gets legalized here, it's going to be one of those things I anticipate that's just going to be so commonplace that it's boring. Where you're like, yeah, I don't really, you know, I don't really, I don't really do it. Like all these fears that there's going to be a, a reefer madness is just obviously so overblown. Right. But I'd be curious, like I haven't gone anywhere since the pandemic, but I was supposed to go to Denver um, right before this all hit. And uh, I'd be curious just to see like a place where marijuana is legalized, just how weirdly normal it is you know yeah i mean I that's exact that, oh, good yeah i mean that's exactly right i like i've i've been to denver since and i was expecting like super pot vacation headquarters uh it's just still denver it's you know a few more stores like life didn't change appreciably at least on the outside right i, I would imagine like it's probably most noticeable by like college campuses so, like, if you were in the University District of, of, of Denver, by, like, by you, Denver, like, it, it may be more noticeable. Like, if you're in Buffalo, if you're by, like, Canisius College, like, near Canisius and Madai or uh, near Buff State, where mm-hmm. it's residential, or if you're in University Heights, I guess, you know, like, maybe, um, maybe it'll be, it'll be more noticeable. Probably. But I mean, like, if you're if you're hanging out on like Depew Avenue in North Buffalo, you might smell it in someone's backyard. That's about the extent of it. I've been to Washington State where it's legal, and it's it's just it's not a big deal. Yeah, I just I I, I just can't imagine like like the the like the whole concern about reefer madness type of nonsense is so ridiculous. Well, honestly, the the place I I hope the places where we see the change are like. The stuff that you don't, the places that you don't normally look. And what I mean by that is like, instead of the, you know, the kid who gets pulled over and because they have weed on them now, you know, are going to jail. That's obviously something that, you know, we, we care deeply about. And that's something that even in the negotiations for this has been brought up by Governor Cuomo himself as saying, well, I'm not quite sure if we want to, you know, fully push that. Uh, being a probable cause, smelling marijuana, we want to take that off the table. So hopefully they they do right by that and say, hey, you know, we talked about this last week, of course, but something where it becomes decriminalized and it just becomes something where, you know, people aren't going to fucking jail for having pot. But the other thing is I'm thinking about, like, I don't know, the the kid or the, the grown adult who lives out in the South Towns who might otherwise turn to opioids who's now able to get pot right. and we won't see those people. We won't, you know, you don't see those people in the news, but maybe you see less opioid deaths and more of, Hey, I can get pot. Why would I 
need to get opioids. Right, and, and, and growing their own. I mean, the, the, the Mart, the uh, marijuana and uh, whatever it's called, but it, Mart is the acronym, um, bill that's going to be going through the Assembly in, in New York State Senate, um, allows each person to grow six plants. All right. Um, for their own personal use. So I, I don't know if, if you're married, if that means you get 12 plants or what happens. And, like, I guess it's because it's going to be age-restricted 21 that, like, if you have dependents, like, you can't be like, well, I've got four kids, yeah, so right. I get to have X plants. Um, but you still get to have six plants. What if you have two cats? Uh, how old are the cats? Uh, <laughs> two and four. Oh, yes, you can definitely have okay. it then. Okay. And, and cat years. Yeah, cat years are old enough, right? Right, okay. <laughs> cat years are old enough. Um uh, but I, I, you know, it'd be interesting. Like, I, I agree with you, Ria. Like, instead of turning to opioids, maybe they'd be like, well, now I could just smoke some pot. I can grow some, you know, like, like realistically, like, what will this do for like Adam's nurseries? Yeah. Right. You know, or you know, the, because like the, the pre started pot plant, because like, there's going to be some people who are like, like, man, I could grow it, but I just, I don't, I don't have a green thumb. I can't grow it from a seed. So like the pre-start starter. I mean, I pre- would you be able to get it like? I was gonna say Wilson Farms, but that doesn't exist anymore. But <laughs> oh, I wish it did. Wilson poor, Farms nostalgia. I I just jumped through time when I said that. Mm-hmm. Pour one out for Wilson Farms. Every time I drive past Seven Eleven, I think it would be better if it were Wilson Farms. Oh, you're absolutely right. Time. Absolutely. God, yes. Um. Yeah. No. I I I said on here before Buffalo should lean into like being the hub for pot and and i still think that's true by the way i I mean whatever the hell works to turn us into like a weird kind of destination not destination city but you know come visit us when everything opens again um but i also think brian you're right like i don't think much is going to change practically um at least in the big stuff day to day but i I hope it's it's around the edges and in the fringes right i i I was like if buffalo leaned into it i think one of the things where it can make a difference is and you know like i know like Canisius this year is having trouble with enrollment. Enrollment's down a lot with Canisius College. Um, you know, Buffalo has a lot of colleges and universities in the area. Um, as we all know, weed helps your GPA. Right. As we all know, the, the number one way to get a, an A in something like, you know, econometrics is to smoke weed every day. Um <laughs> If but, my 17-year-old ever hears this podcast, I want him to know that that is all completely wrong. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> throw, Thanks for that. Throw, Thank you. throw that out. We need, uh, like, the WandaVision uh, wink. That's all completely yeah. wrong. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, no, I, I, it's it's tough because, like, if you're – obviously, if you're Kenesha's College, you can't lean into it officially and be like, hey, we have legalized pot in this state now. Like this, that's not going to make it to any of their official advertising. Like you take your PSATs in, you know, Meadville, Pennsylvania, and you score an eleven hundred. And Canisius is not going to be like, you should come here. We have the major you're looking for and legal weed, but it, it could be helpful to the recruitment in local colleges. I just don't know how that you do it without saying without like. Being overt, you're like you said, you're gonna have to do a lot of winking, a lot of winking involved. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we wouldn't have such a uh, a fast track for the marijuana legalization 
were it not for the man behind the mirror. That's right. The, the man behind the, the little blanket that he wore over himself, shall right. I say. Yes, our dear governor, Andrew Cuomo, still in peril and uh, getting more perilous for him, Jim. It's not great. I mean, look, I look, I had therapy today, uh, and I was meeting with my psychologist, and he was like, is Andrew Cuomo going to resign? And I was like, why would you ask me? First of all, I'm not Andrew Cuomo. I don't know, like, have you been billing the wrong person all this time? That's great. But I'm not Andrew Cuomo. But, I mean, no, I don't think he's going to resign. Yeah. Uh, I think he, I think he, yeah, here's the thing with, like, the impeachment process, right, is that if he gets impeached, it looks bad for Democrats. The people who would be impeaching him are Democrats. They don't want their party to look bad. But you know what they really don't want? him to run for governor next year well and you could tell that clearly the press corps or or, or, you know whoever's whoever's putting these stories out there well and truly hates him because this has been a sustained offensive on cuomo it it seems like every week there is a new awful story about andrew cuomo that hits the news and is pretty prominent uh the latest story is that andrew cuomo had approved for special covid tests for his family members last year, mm-hmm. um, clearly violating Jim. You, you uh, sent the the group chat like some some tweet where it's like this is a clear violation of New um, York State law. New York State law uh, of the uh, that public officers using their office um, for their own gain or for the gain of their family members, and like. Yes, it, it clearly is. Now, like, I guess my thing in this, I talked about my ther- with my therapist about this today, too, was, you know, like, of the things that he's currently, like, being under fire for, like, sexually harassing and or assaulting seven women, covering up thousands of nursing, nursing home deaths, getting some COVID tests for his family members, doesn't getting some COVID tests for some members seem like it's the weakest thing there? But I was like, yeah, but however, like, it might be the strongest case. And, like, remember, they got Al Capone for tax evasion. Like, was it the worst thing that Al Capone did? No. Was it the case that they had? Matter of fact, it was. And when I see something like this come out, and like the only thing that makes me think like this will go away is they're like, we should have Jacob investigated. And we talked about this like last week with, with Bojack. Like, Jacob is a joke. It's all appointees from the from Cuomo. There's no way you can have Jacob investigate something and expect that they're gonna turn anything on the governor. Brian, you're you're our uh our man in the media. We've got we've got friends all over. You're our friend in the media. Uh, what's your sort of take about how this Cuomo situation has been covered? Or you know, like I said, it, it feels like there's a big story every week now, and and they're really hitting them hard. Yeah, I mean, I think that some of those critiques about how the media worshipped Co- uh, Cuomo a year ago and. And now they're out for him. I think, you know, the way they turn on him, I think some of those are are right. The media, when, I don't know, for some reason with him, are much more like herd animals where they're all following each other. And so 
I don't know, wait another week, who knows what else will come out. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think that I am not a political analyst. Um, I hesitate to say too much, but I would say that the if you look at similar or other governors that have had scandals like Northam and Virginia, like Justin Trudeau for the, you know, for also blackface issues across the border, like those were things they did years and years before. And they could say, well, I'm not that high schooler or college kid anymore. But all this stuff is stuff that's Cuomo's doing right now. It's not, there's no like younger version to blame it on. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I think that's a great point because like I was talking to my friend in Virginia about this and he was like, well, Northrum, you know, refused to resign and made it. And I was like, yeah, but one of the reasons why Northrum got off the hook in Virginia as well by from his own party is that he was not running for reelection afterwards. Cuomo hasn't ruled out running for office again, running for governor again. Has in fact said that he plans or may still do so. Right. He actually, he actually said, yeah, the opposite. Yeah. Um, turning the governor's office over to the Republicans in New York State is a huge unforced error for the Democratic Party. And Cuomo's polling is such that somebody like even crazy Elise Stefanik could potentially beat Cuomo right now. Not great. Not 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 great if you're somebody who knows who the the Republican uh, portion of New York State Republicans, you know, like it, it, you just think Carl Paladino clones down the line. really. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and they're Carl Paladino clones and they think they're moderates. Yeah. So not not great, but let's talk about a let's talk about a candidate we like. Let's talk Let about say. a more inspiring political figure a little bit more locally, guys. Good news for friend of the pod, India Walton, who is running for mayor and has, as of today's date, um, met the signature signature goal, excuse me, to be on the ballot for the, for the democratic primary, right, Jim? She did. Yeah. Uh, she met the signature goal for the democratic primary. Uh, she turned in a little over 2000 signatures. Um, which the I, threshold was, was 600. I can't remember if it was 600 or 300. Because I think it, it was 600, but I think during the week it got lessened, it got cut in half um, from even that. Um, so I don't know if 600 is the half that it got cut to. I don't know if it was 1,200 and it got cut to 600 or if it was 600 and got cut to 300. Um, that, that literally happened yesterday, uh, according to my friend at the Board of Elections. Uh, but regardless, she crushed it. She got way more signatures than needed. And, you know, like I said, I've said on the podcast before, like we had her on. She was a candidate for mayor. But you're not really a candidate for mayor until you're on the ballot. You're not you're not real, a a real threat until you make it to the ballot. And she's made it to the ballot now. She's there. And. Friend of the pod, Jeff Kelly, over at Investigative Post, had a great article um, where, you know, he also interviewed other friend of the pod. We've got a lot of friends. We're, we're cool mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. People people like us, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, interviewed Adam Bojack. Last the Rad Pack. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, the Rad Pack for sure. Interviewed Adam Bojack, who, you know, said like, yeah, they've got 2,000 signatures submitted from nearly 100 volunteers who are going out and getting signatures, which, again, like, if you're paying attention, you know, the hardest part... Just in my, my personal 
political experience working in politics in the past. Jim, I'm sure you can attest to this. Um, the hardest part about doing a lot of this political stuff where you're, especially where you're flying blind, like not to say that India doesn't know what she's doing or hasn't been involved in political campaigns herself in the past. But when you're doing this sort of thing, you're really like herding cats sometimes where you're trying to get volunteers you know, you're trying to get people like, hey, I know it's, you know, I know it's kind of shitty outside, but we really need help. You know, can you go out and get some signatures or, hey, you know, what's your availability? What's your schedule? That stuff is hard. Getting people together to do anything is difficult. Getting people to come together for a political campaign where most people are really bored to tears and don't really care is especially difficult. Getting people to do all that in the middle of friggin' COVID is like borderline insanity so for india walton to have this core of people almost 100 volunteers who are going out there getting these signatures and yeah smashing just smashing that 300 600 either number Mm -hmm. frankly her getting 2,000 signatures is quite impressive no it it is and you know like you know from my experience with, with what you did in politics back then petitions were done in like june petitions now being done in like February and March. I've done petitions in February and March. Petitions in June, it sucks doing petitions because you have to go door to door and everybody hates you. Nobody wants to talk to you. Everybody's like, I know I'm part of that political party, but I don't want to sign your shit. Get out of here. Stop bothering me. I'm trying to have dinner. But at least the weather's nice. Get to go for a nice walk. Right. Doing that shit in February and March sucks. Especially early, at least like, I guess like this March was like nice comparatively, but like most marches, it, it's, it's just terrible going out there and it's like 25 degrees and you're freezing and they're like, do you have the pandemic? <laughs> yeah. So props to India and her campaign, um, you know, especially on the heels of getting um, they've had the Working Families Party endorsement now, but I mean, really getting that big push. Uh, again, we talked about Cynthia Nixon signal boosting India's campaign. Jeff also talks about that in his article. So, I mean, they're really, again, we said it before, they're probably likely still dogs in this race. But man, oh man, is it is it price to move, shall we say, Jay? It, yeah, I mean, it's it, look, they're definitely dogs in the race, regardless. I mean... A four-term incumbent who's got $180,000 is still a formidable opponent. Um, former chairman of the New York State Democratic Party, by the way, Byron Brown. So 100% a formidable opponent. opponent. Uh, one of the things that helps her is that, like, Brown was probably relying upon the fact that he's been a close Cuomo ally as something that would help him. <laughs> I don't know that he's going to be doing a lot of photo ops with Cuomo right about now, Brian. I'm- no, probably not. I mean, I don't, I don't know her. I, I guess I'm not a resident of the city of Buffalo either, so I, you know, I can't vote either way. But I'm definitely like pro multiple choices, pro multiple candidates. When you, when nobody, when nobody runs and there's really no choice for anyone, I don't. That's like that's not a good system. So. Well, I hope it turns into a thing. Well, well, good for you because there are five candidates for mayor this year in the city of Buffalo. <laughs> there are a lot of choices for you. Uh, yes, we we would be remiss if we did not mention uh, South Buffalo's own Scott Wilson uh, also made the ballot, uh, submitted petitions for signatures, as well as Lacandis Durham. 
Um, we also have a GOP uh, candidate, Jim. Yeah, we Ross have Ross Kostecki. Ross Kostecki, who I I know personally, um, and uh, he's a nice enough fella. Uh, but I I have an interesting story to talk about Ross Kostecki. Uncle Jimmy story time. Uncle Jimmy story times. Have you have you heard my Uncle Jimmy story time, Brian? I, I've I've heard of this thing before. Yeah. Yes, I can't I can't wait. I'm on pins and needles. On <laughs> <laughs> on the the proverbial tenter hooks. Um, so. My cousin used to work with Ross. And so at my cousin's wedding, Ross was there as a, a guest. And um, I was there with my ex-girlfriend as my plus one. And uh, she is not somebody who suffer fools very lightly. And uh, she was she had had a drink or, or, or several. And he was there, Ross was there, and he had a, a, an American flag pin on his lapel. And she asked if she could have it. And he said, oh, oh no, I got this from Rince Priebus. <laughs> and she was like, what do you mean? And he goes, look. And he took the pin off and showed, and it had like an inscription on it that said, you know, courtesy of Rince Priebus. That's just kind of weird. Actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I mean, there's a there's a tradition in the military to give away coins. They're called challenge coins. They're like really big, and if you get one from somebody famous or the high ranking or whatever, they put their name on it. But like flag lapel pins, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little odd. <laughs> was this before or after Reince's stock kind of went down? Uh, this was before. This, this was. Uh, he would have been chairman of the N uh, of the National Republic oh, Committee okay. when he gave this pin to Ross. Gotcha. Not, not resigned member not of the resigned with his tail between his. If legs. If I got anything courtesy of Reince Priebus, I'd get tested afterwards. <laughs> um, the Reince test. The Reince test. Uh, well, moving back <laughs> away from Reince Priebus, back a little bit more to the local elections. Jim, a little interesting wrinkle in the sheriff's race. Yeah, um, Kim Beatty, who had dropped out, has dropped back in. She's back. She's How'd, this back. Ha- How'd this happen? Uh, yeah, I read that. Can you explain that? Uh, well, it looks like um, former county legislator Betty Jean Grant, former common council member Betty Jean Grant, um, basically was not going to take no for an answer and was running petitions for Kim Beatty regardless. And it's it's funny. Um, last week, I, I mentioned to Adam Bojack that like maybe he said he's he's not going to run for anything ever. But I was like, well, people could run you if you don't want them to. And he was like, yeah, I guess they could. And it seems like that's almost the case that's happened with Kim Beatty here. Is like whether she wanted to be a, a candidate for sheriff or not, she is. Um. Betty Jean Grant's organization ran petitions for her and qualified her to run for sheriff. Yeah, if nothing else, I mean, it's a little bit of a protest from, you know, Betty Jean and and certainly supporters of Kim Beatty who think that, you know, she got a raw deal with, uh, with the nomination process and, you know, think that she's more than qualified. I mean, we've talked about on the show here that Kim Beatty is an extremely qualified candidate had trained all the other candidates right right who were were uh, up in the running here so she definitely seemingly got a, a pretty raw deal and uh you know even if it's just like hey 
her her base of support wants to show that she deserves to be there. I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, but what do you think her chances are now that she's dropped out and dropped back in? Who knows? Uh, who you know? The thing is, we we talk about this political stuff like it's cast in stone. When the reality is, it never really is, even though there are certain things that dictate it. But I don't know what a political race post-COVID looks like. I don't know what a political race for an office is political and as divisive as the sheriff's office coming on the tenure, the disastrous tenure of, of Sheriff Howard, what that looks like and having a black woman in the race, um, you know, with her strong background as she does, like, yes, the Dems have circled around a candidate they think is, you know, their guy. But Kim Beatty is an extremely strong candidate on her own merits, and I'm not ruling her out. I think she wins. The the primary? Yeah, I think she wins okay. the primary. Not the race. Well, I mean, we'll see after the primary. Okay. I think she wins the primary. I think, I, I you know, what I think happens is that India Walton drives out votes in the city, and the city votes for Kim Beatty over Brian Gould. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, pivoting away from the political stuff a little bit, though, Jim. Our man Mark Polo. Yes. Our boy. All right. He, you know. He's he, he's finally seen the light on, on a couple of subjects. He's doing it. He's doing it. We are getting Ryan. This, this is a story after my own heart. This is yeah. Ryan's pet project. Yeah, okay. Little, this, little is, this is Snake's whole heart is swelling because. Tell me about it, Snake. Well, it looks like it looks like he, he's he's promoting Erie Net. Uh, so Erie Net, which is a municipal uh, broadband project to go up against Spectrum, they've got a monopoly in the in the city and most other areas in Erie County. And the idea is to give a more affordable, um, better performing product for for broadband. Um, I was involved. Pat Burke who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. We were we were involved with a a committee to. Um, introduce a feasibility study for municipal broadband. Well, I, I think it was seven, eight years ago, 2013 timeframe. Um, so the idea is get a, get an outside uh, independent um, consultant to help, to help uh, kind of stand it up, sh- show the way. A lot of these consultants will probably promote a public private partnership. So someone can profit off this, but so I hope whatever form it takes is fully public and, uh, and community supported and, and help, Helps everyone out. One of the big issues with with broadband is accessibility and 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 reach, right? R- rural areas, city affordability. So, hoping this fills that gap, especially right now where everyone's kind of working remote, learning remotely. Yeah, it's one of the honestly few instances I can think of where you know Buffalo or Erie County, you know Western New York, really has been on the more forward thinking end of things, which. You know, Ryan, you're talking about you were kind of out in front of it like seven, eight years ago. Is it really is it really that forward thinking? But yeah. honestly, relative to the rest of the country, like, man, it is refreshing to think that, hey, we could be on the vanguard sure. of something that just makes fucking complete sense. Yes. We, yes. We there, need- there have been other municipalities who have done it. They, they've paved the way. I've spoken to people in, in these places, Chattanooga, Wilson, North Carolina. So, I mean, it has been done. It, it um, you know, financially, it's, it's, it, it can be tough at times since you're, you know, you're publicly funded, but uh, it's something to watch out for. But uh, I think if it's popular enough and, uh, and, the, and the public will is there, it, it'll, it'll succeed. So, so Ryan, I've, I have a question for you because yeah. Mark Polencar's 
and his beautiful hair was in the New York Times <laughs> like two weeks ago about this, right? That they were asking everybody, what are you going to do with your windfall from the $1.9 trillion bill? And he yeah. mentioned broadband. So is that is it taking the federal investment and then turning it into this? Or are these not related? Or how does that work? Do you know? I'm not sure where the funding's coming from. I, I It'll probably take a billion dollars just to get something, you know, workable for that many people to, to fund itself from, you know, paying the the monthly bill to add up to, to sustain the, the network. So I'm not sure if the, if the, if the initial funding is coming from that, it'd be a good idea. And, 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 you know, I just don't, I, I haven't read enough about it to, to know where the, the funding's coming from, but you know, after a while, it's it's just going to have to sustain itself. So, right. Um, I mean, it, it, and it can, right. I yeah. mean, we see that, look, if, if it couldn't sustain itself, government would already have to be doing it. Right. The private sector wouldn't be making millions of dollars off of it. Erie County doesn't have to start with a, you know, fiber fast broadband service. They can start with infrastructure um, uh, initiatives. Like mm-hmm. whenever there's a new road, lay fiber, make sure it's in the far reaching areas, that type of thing. You know, make requirements for for broadband for existing ISPs, that type of thing. Brian, where you are, is how's your internet access out there? How's the connectivity? It's it's spectrum. You know, yeah. we have we have one option. <laughs> Enough said. Um, I have better Wi-Fi than cell phone on cell service on Grand Island, honestly. <laughs> Depending on where you are, it can be hard to find a tower. Yeah, I bet. Can you find a tower that's in this country? Or do you, or do you occasionally roam? No, I occasionally roam. That happens all mm-hmm. the time, actually. It's kind of annoying. Just just like on the 190, when you're driving by BlackRock. Right. Yes. Not yep. BlackRock. When you're driving by BlackRock, or as Ree likes to call it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Chandlerville. <laughs> Chandlerville. So, uh, so in, in other news, so sometimes we are forward thinking here in Western New York. And other times, you know, we are like, uh, I don't know, like a bad bit from Parks and Rec. Where you're just like, man, that's just too on the nose. I, I think this would be a pretty good bit for Parks and Rec. It might be a pretty good park. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you that, Jim. But I mean, because I'm just imagining Andy Samberg riding a dirt bike around. Yes, yes. And I want to give a, a special shout out to friend of the pod, Tara O'Sullivan, for um, sending this my way. So, Brian, I know you don't live in the city, you know, but you you may or may not have heard about the scourge down here in the city. We... We, we have to deal with these roving gangs of uh, ATVs going around the west side. And dirt bikes. And dirt bikes. And dirt bikes. And dirt bikes. And, it's, and it's, it, look, it, it is mostly located to the west side. There's not a lot of this going on on, say, like Lincoln Parkway. Right. Right. It sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. I yes. Mean, I mean, we have our share of ATVs on, on the island as well. But, but no, it, it doesn't necessarily fit in. So what's the plan? What are they going to do? With oh, it? well, the plan, Brian... That's that's a great question because Byron Brown, our our fearless mayor, um, came out today and you know had a press conference about it and you know they really want to they really want to crack down on the dirt bikers and the ATVers you know just just going around the city and, and causing a ruckus and um, you know their their bold plan to uh, to do this is to well actually ask for residents' help they're looking for you know eh, they're looking for snitches. Uh, snake, they're looking for, you know, they're, they're looking for people to drop a dime. Just so you know, snake doesn't snitch. Snake does not snitch, but but for 
a cool $100 offered by the Buffalo oh, Police Department. 100 bucks? Yes, 100 bucks. The BPD is <laughs> they put out a reward. They they tweeted this out. They put out a tweet where only people who they mentioned in their tweet can reply to, so they wouldn't get completely fucking roasted on Twitter. But the BPD put out a reward of $100 for information leading to the confiscation of illegal ATVs and dirt bikes that are operated on city of Buffalo streets in violation of vehicle and traffic laws, man. I thought for sure you were going to say it was an ATV buyback program. I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe a little more than a hundred bucks to buy back the ATVs. Oh man. Make, make yourself a, a nice, Cool profit there, guys. A hundred bucks. That shows you what they expect out of the area where this is happening. That a hundred dollars is enough to like, because like there, it's it's not that you're just like, oh, I I think I know who's doing this, but like that they're going to actually be able to repossess or possess some ATVs or dirt bikes based off of your tip. So, and they're like, well, we're going to take like a $4,000 ATV and you'll get a hundred dollars. I mean, it is kind of the classic Byron Brown press conference to have it about a hundred dollars for ATV tips. That does, I don't know, <laughs> that rings true, right? We've seen this before. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, the, the. The the, um, the amount at a hundred dollars. The only way it would have been better is if you would have set the amount at like sixty nine dollars. Oh well, yeah, okay, four hundred and twenty dollars. Four hundred and twenty dollars. No, no, okay, now that that's got me thinking. Yeah. Well, Byron, I I hope uh, you know I I hope you're successful. I hope people come lining up outside City Hall waiting to get their hundred dollars and yes, with the ATV buyback program, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to melt them down and make something useful out of them. <laughs> hopefully fiber optic right. cable. Yeah, hopefully fiber yeah. optic cable. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. I, like I don't know if they're all works. coming together now. Or maybe we just make conduit. Need some kind of, yeah, need some kind of weird alchemy there. But. Uh, well, Brian, I know you didn't just join us to talk about uh, ATVs, although I'm sure you could talk about that all day. <laughs> I mean, we could. I mean, we've got we've got time. <laughs> the ATV podcast. The ATV. Yes, brought to you by Isuzu. Yes, yes. No, we we could we could talk about that that fruitful topic all day, but we have again Brian Kastner, author, uh, journalist, all around good guy who I just met today, but I really like. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call you an all around good guy. Right. It's our first blue check mark to be on the show. Oh. No, that can't be right. It's true. I, can, I can find you. There's other blue check marks in Buffalo. We'll find you a couple. <laughs> Am I friend of the pod yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brian. For yes, sure. absolutely. It's been yes. forty something minutes. <laughs> you yes, you are you are You're most in. certainly a friend of the pod. You're in the snake pit. You are in the snake pit, mm -hmm. and being as such, Brian, we wanna we wanna help you help yourself, okay? Because you have your drop in new book drop in here, Brian. Uh, Stampede, April thirteenth. April 13th, available for pre-order now, as they say, talking leaves. Go talk to John. He'll hook you up. You can order one. Happy to sign them, all those kind of things. Perfect. Now, fair warning, before we talk about your book, I want to give you a heads up, Brian, that most of our listeners are, are millennials whose brains are rotted by the internet. <laughs> Can't really read. Don't. Yeah. Everybody has ADHD. The best we can offer you is we will, we will bully them enough 
to get them to buy your book. We can bully them into that. We can't guarantee that anybody's going to read it. Right. They, they might read it on their smartphones. So I hope you have a grease pen for the smartphone. Yeah. Is, or, yeah. or do, like, is your book available in TikTok form? <laughs> it, it's not. But, you know, I mean, the greatest compliment you can give a writer is to buy their book, whether you actually read it or not. Kind of secondary. But, I mean, as another option, I did record the audio book for it in Buffalo, Ooh, okay. actually, in local Buffalo studio, Chameleon Studios. Um, so if you can put up with like eight hours of my voice, that's another option if you, you don't want to read you it. You have very dulcet tones here, Brian. Yeah. I have to say, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure listening to you the past. Right, I, I it's a face for radio. It's a face for radio. <laughs> I, I haven't heard you say Transit Road at all, so I don't know how all your A's are, but you sound pretty good so far. I, I do have an Aunt Kathy. That's where we're going with this. So, Brian, I have to work on that. Talk, talk to us about Stampede because, you know, I know your career, um, you've written books, obviously, about being a rock war veteran. Um, you know, talked a lot about your personal experiences. I also know that you have a book um, previously about the um, uh, Northwest, uh, Northwest Passage. Passage. Excuse me, I blanked out there. Um, but how did, how did you come to the, the subject of uh, the Klondike and, and the gold rush. Yeah, I have no idea. Like that's a really good, it's a good legitimate question. And I, I have this whiteboard kind of like you have a whiteboard. I can see there in your office. I have a whiteboard where I occasionally jot down just words or ideas or topics or things that I think might be interesting to write about someday. And I, I honestly don't remember when Klondike ended up on there, but I think, I think what I thought was curious about it is, it was one of those cases of American history that like, I knew the word, but I had never read a book about. And then when I found the book, like the really kind of the definitive history, it was written by a Canadian guy named Pierre Burton in like 1958. So from a purely, I don't know, from a business standpoint, when there's something famous in American history that hasn't been written about in 60 years, it tells you that, hey, there's an opportunity to, to kind of reimagine or relook at what this is. And then when you're looking at a project, you have to figure out, like, is there is this something I'm interested in enough that I am willing to spend the next three or four years of my life thinking about it every day? And I love Alaska. I love the outdoors. Like you said, written a book about the Northwest Passage in northern Canada um, I had friends in Alaska and it was as I started to kind of like dig in, I discovered, I don't know, the, the story itself is incredible, but then also a few opportunities to talk about stuff that I don't know, hadn't been covered yet or just reimagine it in a different way. I, I guess the, the last thing I would say is about like why to do it is I think the thing I realized reading about the history is that the Klondike Gold Rush is a disaster movie. It's like so many people died and they shipwrecks and avalanches and scurvy and frostbite and drowning in the rivers. And I, I'm a whitewater uh, rafting guide. And so I love the whitewater aspect of it. Um, and it, there's just like, I, I don't know, it's like there's just this incredible moving tragedy disaster for like a year and a half. And as I as I read the stories about what had happened up there, I felt like that part wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't covered. Like I, I had a chance to tell the story through that lens and write it that way, which is, I don't know, in a lot of my writing, something I think I'm good at, uh, I'm good at is I write a lot about violence and I write a lot about people dying. 
um, and what that feels like. And so I feel like I could bring kind of that perspective, you know, to, to the story. Uh, and so it wasn't just, you know, kind of the same old tale about grizzled prospectors and good time girls and friendly Mounties. And, you know, the, the little bit that people know about the Klondike is like Klondike bar and that's about it. Like <laughs> how, how much do you actually know about the story? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just what I learned from Jack London when I was a kid, right? Like, and it's been 30 years or something like that since I've read call of the wild. So, I mean, right. right, I, I, right. How much do I retain? Yeah. So Jack, so though I tell the story through 10 characters um, who each saw a different part of it. And I tell Jack London's story. When Jack London went on, on the Klondike Gold Rush, he was a 21-year-old nobody tramp. He was called the kid socialist of Oakland because he would like hold these long speeches and he was, he was eventually a member of the Socialist Party. Um, but what's funny about being a writer from Buffalo is every time Buffalo is mentioned anywhere in like any historical narrative anywhere, I managed to sneak it into the book or I at least try to. <laughs> um, so there were a couple characters in this book that either enlisted in the army in Buffalo or took the train through Buffalo or whatever else. But Jack London, I mean, speaking of the Erie County Sheriff, Jack London spent a month in the Erie County Holding Center. It's he was amazing he didn't arrested. Die. <laughs> what was that? I said it's amazing he didn't die. Well, actually, so that's what's funny is the way he describes it, it hasn't changed much. He got <laughs> arrested in Niagara Falls for vagrancy and being a hobo. Um, he tried to plead not guilty. The judge told him to shut up. They sent him to a month's confinement, and it was basically like an incredibly violent, bizarre place where he just, you know, he talks about the people inside and just absolutely horrific. Um so yeah, he's lucky to have lived through it. Yeah. That month in jail. I I'm fascinated, Brian, by uh you know, the just the idea that we're we're talking about people who are going out and like chasing a fortune and really putting their lives on the line that we've been sort of sold the story like you said of, you know, this Americana version of um you know, yeah, the gold rush. We're we're going out, we're going to you know, there's, we're going to make a lot of money and the, the grim reality behind it. Like, I just think today about, you know, the, the grift is NFTs now, right? That there's, oh, there's right. money on the internet. And that's like the extent to which we go to, or, or the Robin Hood thing where, yes, you know, people, there's obviously financial repercussions, but these were real ones, man. They were going out there and like, you're putting it on the line. It'd be pretty desperate. Well, and, and the other thing is like, I think about like, you know, like as far as like gold rush stuff, like, you know, we think about like the, the well, the San Francisco 49ers in the 1849 and the gold rush in California. But there's a right. difference between like moving to like California and trying to get some gold and like trying to survive in fucking Alaska. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Like in back in 1849, people went to California, but the gold was just kind of an excuse. They wanted to take the land. They wanted a homestead. They wanted to take it away from Mexico um, there were a lot of reasons to go to California and the gold just kind of happened to be there. Nobody is homesteading in Alaska or the Northwest Territories of Canada, right? It was a very different situation. And what you say about NFTs or whatever the latest scam is, I mean, that's really brighter than you know. The So here, li little economic background. So why was everybody so desperate that they went on this gold rush? There was the Great Panic of 1893, 
which was at the time the worst depression that the United States had ever entered. Tell me if this sounds familiar. So Wall Street goes bust. Um, they're over leveraged. Then the banks start to go bust. Then everybody's mortgage is underwater. And then they start to lose their homes. And then un unemployment goes through the roof and like nobody can pay off the loans and the whole thing cycles and gets worse and worse. It's essentially the Great Recession. So nobody can get out of this. Nobody knows how to how to fix it. And then four years later, like on the front page of every newspaper is gold is discovered in the Klondike. And it's like people found their solution. So the overall numbers are like 100,000 people about went on the gold rush. For perspective, that's the combined population of Seattle and Los Angeles at the time in 1897. And out of those 100,000 people, um, 10, 15, 20,000 died. We don't have an exact number. Only about a third of the people actually made it to the Klondike region. And out of those, a couple hundred got rich. So it's essentially the 1% got rich and then the 99%, like everybody else, um, is the same thing, the same problem of the panic of the Great Recession was just recreated in the Klondike. It was essentially, the whole thing was a giant scam. Right. You either got rich or if you were lucky on the other side, you died. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, there's just so many ways that people, it, it's just incredible to me. Eventually, the newspapers stopped printing like covering the story of the people dying, they would just print the names in the back of the paper as like filler between the ads rather than covering all the shipwrecks and such. It's, um, I mean, it's astounding how the news covered it then and then just how many people could die. And it was not news. And not only was it not news then, it's not really central to our understanding of the situation now. We don't think of it as a, a massive human catastrophe, we still have this idea of, like, go to Alaska and get rich with gold. Right. I mean, because you, you think of it like a bit, buying Alaska being Seward's folly, and then they discover gold and oil up there, and people get rich, and it was great. It was a great idea. The, the people who got rich are the same people who, like, bought Bitcoin early. Like, it's the people <laughs> who are already up in Alaska when it was discovered. If you If you went on the stampede... By the time you got there, it's like, you know, buying GameStop late, like it was too late. You didn't have a chance to, to stake a claim. Right. And to be clear, some people did get rich. So like Clarence and Ethel Berry, which were one of the very rare husband and wife mining teams, um, they were, when they left, they were deemed the third richest. They had $130,000. They invested it in more mines. And then they, the money from that, they invested in more. And then they bought the Los Angeles Angels baseball team. And then they invested in oil fields in California. And when Barry Petroleum sold, private company, Barry Petroleum sold in like 2013, it sold for $4.3 billion. Jesus. So the Barrys did okay. But yeah. like most other people, Jack London mined $5 worth of gold. He was totally average. Well, so speaking of that, like speaking of like, average and and this idea of making it rich what do you think of like this new genre on like the history channel or discovery channel of all these gold rush tv shows like up in alaska <laughs> i have watched like 
five minutes total of those. That's, that's mostly because I don't watch TV. Um, but it is a, it's like, it continues the myth, right? Like right. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, my, my father is a huge fan of these shows. Uh, well, I don't know. He watches them a lot. I don't know if he's a fan. He just watches them. Oh, he's a got lot. the hats, the shirts, everything. right? He's got the yeah. hats. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got the autograph book. Um, yeah. No, he watches these shows a lot, and they, they, they talk about whitewater mining or prospecting and strip prospecting. And I, I watch it, and I go, yeah, but you first of all, these four people barely make money, and the only reason why they seem to be making money is because they're getting paid by, like, the Discovery Channel. Yeah, it's the television show right. that's, that's doing it. Yeah. Right, and, and, then, and then, like, also... You have to live in Alaska the entire time, which seems to be like the hardest place in the United States to live. Well, I love Alaska. It's not an easy life. In some ways it is. It can be simpler, but it's definitely not easy. Um, I mean, I do know that one of those shows, Yukon Gold, I think it's Yukon Gold, really is like they are currently strip mining where the original Discovery Robert Henderson's original discovery on Quartz Creek was. So, like, I mean, it's not that it's illegitimate. It's just they are now, like, finding every last molecule um, that happens to be up there. And it's not, I mean, it doesn't resemble anything that happened 125 years ago or whatever it is now, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a reality TV guy, but that says more about me than the show, I think. It's just, it, uh, I, I just, uh, it's these shows are fascinating to me because uh, they're continuing to sell a myth to right. people nowadays, um, and like, and they show people like every year in the new season, like, oh, in this season, here's a new person who gave up his job in Wisconsin and moved to Alaska to make his like fortune mining gold, and I'm like. Make his fortune, like, dude's going to make $35,000 this year. Right, right. I mean, there's people still panning, you know, for real. There's people, it's, it's a lifestyle. You have to want the lifestyle, you know? And if you, and if you dig the lifestyle, then I guess good for you, but you're not getting rich. That's, mm-hmm. that's for sure. What, was there a particular element, Brian, that really got its hooks in you um, about this narrative? Like, was, it, was there something that you were just like... What, 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 was there like a light bulb moment for you where you're like, oh man, this is the thing that I really want to you know, devote my time and energy to? Because I mean, this is a fascinating topic, but I'm just wondering where you know the the switch flipped for you for 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 Stampede. Yeah, that's a. I mean that that's a good question. I mean, there's particular parts of it that were fun to write. Um, Soapy Smith was a gangster up in Skagway, which is now where like cruise ships stop. Um, and he was killed in a shootout on the docks, which is like a scene you couldn't make up, but, you know, really happened. And so some of that stuff is fun to write. Um, I think actually the character that I, I don't know, that either I most admire or just like became most fascinated with is a woman named Anne DeGraff, who was 59 years old when she went on the stampede and didn't go to look for gold. She went to look for her son. Her son was missing. And she was convinced that he was going to, like, he would see the news and he would go up there. Um, spoiler, she never actually finds her son. <laughs> but what she does do when she gets up there is she becomes, like, the mother to all of the um, 
to all of the women working in the sex industry. So there were, I mean, there were women working as dancers. Um, uh, there was, they were called percentage girls. Like for a dollar, you would dance the waltz. Like this was very, like, uh, I don't know, it was, it's Victorian times. So it was like very clean cut. But then if you like danced enough the waltz enough times um, with these girls, then eventually you could pay to go upstairs with her. And then there were the good time girls that were, you know, singing and dancing and, and then prostitutes and everything else. Like there were a number of, there were a lot, there were a lot of women working up there in the sex industry. And she like, she was my way to like write about that entire thing. And I think when I said that, you know, you can write a book like a modern book from a kind of a new perspective. I think one of the main things I could do in like a post me too world is write about really how women were treated up there and how horribly they were abused and murdered by jealous lovers. And I mean, indigenous women had it worse and um, a lot of indigenous men were lynched. And like, these were things that were kind of barely mentioned in some of the official histories or the women were written off as hysterical or they weren't like, um, you know, it just, it wasn't taken seriously the way these women were treated. And some of the stories of like the violence are just excruciating to read and to write. Um, and they were just waiting there. Like I did not dive into like deep archives to find these stories. They were just there. They just had not been written about in like, you know, by a writer that took it seriously. And so, I think that was one of the opportunities where I said, okay, I can write this as a disaster movie. Hey, I can write like a bunch of, you know, shipwrecks and shootouts and that'd be kind of cool. But I can also do like a real service and say, hey, here's a much fuller picture of what actually happened up there and what it was like for more than just the white men. Here's what it was like for the other people that experienced it. Well, Brian, I think, uh, you know, we can bully our listeners into buying your book, but I think you've sold it pretty well that they're actually going to read it once <laughs> they buy it because this is completely fascinating. And I'm I'm very excited um, to read it myself. Uh, comes out April 13th. Is that right? That's correct. Talking leaves. Call them up. Pre-order it. Yep. So what are you working on now? Oh, are you my agent or like <laughs> what? You know, when, when are you going to get yeah, that in? Geez. I'm a. Uh, I'm uh, I'm doing a magazine story. Actually, today I finished the first draft on a magazine story about uh, mercenaries, Russian mercenaries and South African mercenaries and their kind of like white power ideology. Um, the, the Russian mercenaries, Wagner, fighting in Libya right now wear Confederate flags on their body armor. It's like a weird international you know, white supremacist, um, influence world that we live in. And so I've been, I've been doing some, some work on that, I guess, back to like more of a military, um, you know, journalism kind of stuff is yeah. what I've been working on. Well, Brian, we're certainly gonna, once, once the book comes out, I mean, we'll obviously put all your info out on our social media. Yeah. You are most certainly a friend of the pod and we lift up our friends. We are here. We're here for our friends. We got your back. We will bully. And, and listener, if you are listening, I swear to God, you better buy Brian's Snake's going to come after I you. I will if you don't find buy every single, I, I, I know where those listens are coming from, and I will find you, and I will make you buy Brian's book. We're going to send Angus after you. Yeah, and you're going to read it because it sounds freaking awesome. I'm so excited. Uh, Brian, where can the folks find you on social media? Yeah, the Twitters is the best place, at Brian underscore Kastner is the best place to find me. 
badass. All right, man. Hey, listen, thank you so much again uh, for joining us down here at the square, um, chopping it up with us and, you know, super excited for Stampede. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been fun. Super fun. Thank you. guys you know, that was quite a good conversation with brian kastner up until this point the only thing i knew about the klondike was well you know how during the pandemic there's a big surge of interest for uh, sourdough bread yeah so i beat this you know i was kind of a trendsetter because years ago i got into my own sourdough start not to toot my own horn or anything okay um got into sourdough bread and and other things bagels i don't know i was a big bread freak right so um, I'm looking online because I'm hungry for breakfast one day. And I'm like, I want pancakes, but I'm wondering if someone has a recipe for sourdough pancakes. Sure enough, someone did, and it's like a recipe passed down from their great-grandparents who lived in the Klondike during this bullshit gold rush that they probably lost their ass on. Well, anyway, it turns out like sourdough, I mean, in the West Coast, you know, San Francisco sourdough, that, that that's, that's, that's how you made bread. You know, they didn't have active dry yeast in a grocery store back then. So up in the cold Klondike North, you had to carry it in a leather sack on your chest to keep warm. Otherwise the yeast in the sourdough starter would die. die. Right. So they would carry it around. It would keep warm. They're swinging their pickaxe all day and uh, they'd make bread or pancakes at the end of the day, probably on their wood fire stove. And that's how they kept going. So kind of strange. And I, and I just, and I made pancakes Hung over on some Sunday well, morning. Well, uh, did you carry around in a sack on your chest? Yeah, I got my I got my sourdough sack wherever right, I uh, go. Yeah, I, well, I you better for next weekend when we go to the cabin. <laughs> is have your sourdough sack. Oh I, yes, because I've I've got I've got one of those little uh, barrels full of brandy for Ernest the Pomeranian to <laughs> to run around with. All right, all right, brandy and sourdough. Okay, yeah. all right. Oh well, a huge thanks again, like you said, Rye, to uh, to our guest Brian Kastner. Yes, we will put Brian's um, information for the book where to order it. Talking yes. Leaves is where you can get it locally in Buffalo for yeah. our for our listeners outside of Buffalo, of which there it's, are vast multitudes. Snake's making a promise to all the listeners: I will learn how to read in order to read Brian's book. Mark he's, my words; he's getting the audio book. <laughs> All right, maybe I will. Yes, we will. Uh, you know, it can be purchased through Brian's website. He has links to obviously Talking Leaves, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. Don't and, buy it. Don't buy it from Amazon. Well, uh, you know, and Bookshop.org. So there's a few different places to buy it. So we'll put that out there for him. Um, Jim, we would be remiss if we did not mention. Uh, Certainly friend of the pod, Rusty, and his family again. Yeah, um, we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Rusty and his wife uh, welcomed a new child. Uh, Their son, Thomas, um, had some health issues. Um, uh, You know, he's still at home. It's not like he's in the hospital or anything like that. Um, But, um, you know, like I've said in the past on the pod, the three of us are not the the most praying type. Um, Ree's literally anti Catholic. Oh, <laughs> don't let the wrong people hear that. <laughs> um, no, but uh, if you are the praying type, if you want to send a prayer out for uh, Thomas, 
um that'd be that'd be hugely appreciated while uh while we try to support rusty and and his wife michelle and um his eldest son and 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 his new son um who's got the health issues while they're challenged by that yeah certainly pairs up for rusty and and all the gang so um yeah guys i i think that's a wrap uh jim as always where can we find you on social media you can find me on twitter at james tamel t as in thomas a m as in michael o l um or you can find me on the instagram at battle gym of the republic snake where can oh i'm i'm on i'm on twitter at the real ryan steel that's duh with a da da real ryan steel mm-hmm. and and dear listener instead of finding me on social media you should go on a journey of discovery to find yourself look deep in your heart and and really you know ponder ponder life just take a deep breath meditate do some yoga yeah, if you've uh, if you've learned anything from this episode put down your phone and social media and pick up a book pick up a book go to the klondike you know, make some money. Go prospect. Yeah. It's good. It works out for everybody who does it. Find yourself there in Alaska. Or, you know what? If you can't afford to buy this book yourself, which maybe you can't, like that's fine, request this book from your library sure. so maybe they buy it. Yes. Bully, bully your library. Bully your library. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bully your library. Do, do it. Do it now. And if you don't do have a it. library card, it's easy. Go online and get a library card. Mm-hmm. Go get a library card. Do it now. You, no, just walk into the library and take the book. Yes. Right. That's the other way. Uh, you, or not, you can rec- just, not recommended. Or, you know, well, I mean, if you're going to steal from someplace, at least it's a, a library will like probably won't charge like press charges against you right away. They're like, can we just have the book back? You got plausible deniability. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't know how libraries work. <laughs> if you I have just the, heard you had free books. Yeah. If you have the wherewithal to steal from the library, you got the you got the money to steal from other places to buy the book. Sure. Buy the book. Do it. Buy my book. Not my book. Buy my friend's book. Um, and follow us. We recommend stealing from the collection plate at a Catholic church. Uh, but no. Well, but if you're going to buy Brian's book, maybe. <laughs> So and and if you're not gonna buy buy Brian's book because you're like, well, thirty dollars is a lot of money to spend at one time, sign up for our Patreon, five dollars a month. That's cheap enough. Yes. Do that. Absolutely do that. And of course, follow the Square Pod. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook at the Square Podcast. Give us a like. Let us know you like us. We know you like us, but you have to make it real on social media. It doesn't count until it's Facebook official, okay? Do it. Do it now. Also, if uh, you know you don't have a preferred method of podcast listening, if you click the link and you're like, oh, Brian Kastner's doing something. Who are these jokers who I find to be quite charming and endearing? Well, dear new listener, you can find us on iTunes on Stitcher, on Spotify, on all the places where you find podcasts. And you know what? Give us a a, a five-star rating. You like it? Say, hey, these guys are great, and they're pretty handsome. Never seen their faces, but I know it to be true from their voices. And just listener, stick with us because we love you. I'm Tim.